Good morning. Uh, it's good to see you all, um, particularly if you are a guest with us. Uh, my name is Kondo, and uh, just want to say welcome to those of you who might be visiting for the first time, or maybe you're newer here um, at Mission Point. I'm one of the pastors um, here, and uh, this morning I have the privilege of uh, continuing um, a, a study in which we're exploring some of the truths from the Old Testament book of Nehemiah in a series that we are calling Rebuildable. And at the heart of this series is the belief that there is nothing in our world so broken that our God is not able to restore and rebuild it. In fact, God loves to restore and he loves to rebuild the things that seem most beyond repair. What we often forget, though, is that one of God's favorite ways of rebuilding what's broken in the world around us is by using us, by inviting us to himself, and then sending us out as his reconstruction, rebuilding crew in the world around us. And um, so in this series, we've been learning that as we're studying the life of a man named Nehemiah. And the way God will often use us is by breaking our hearts for something that's broken in the world around us. And maybe it's something that we've seen so many times before, but he gives us a fresh vision for it. He gives us a fresh glimpse at it. Something broken in the world around us that captures and breaks our hearts in a way that makes it unbearable for us to consider the thought of it continuing in the way that it currently is. Which is what happens for this man named Nehemiah. He's living about 800 miles away from his hometown of Jerusalem when he hears a report that the walls that surrounded the city are still broken. Now, they've been broken for over 150 years, but something about this fresh report breaks his heart in a unique way. And it becomes unbearable to him to think about his people in his home city living with the walls broken, which meant they were living with vulnerability. Enemy nations could come in and absolutely destroy them and carry them off to slavery again. And that thought became unbearable for Nehemiah. The walls were broken, which means his people were living in shame. They were the laughingstock of the international community because they had no defense. They had no dignity. They had no protection about them. And the broken walls in his city became an unbearable thought for Nehemiah. And so God used his broken heart to call him to do something about it, even if it cost him everything. And then Nehemiah says yes to God and starts to take steps in that direction. And we as a church believe what God did for Nehemiah, to Nehemiah, and through Nehemiah is what he wants to do for us, what he wants to do in us. And for some of us, even as this series is starting, God is starting to break your heart for something broken in the world around you. And maybe it's something you've seen so many times before, but this time a glimpse of it became unbearable to you. The idea that there are kids in this community or in our state who don't have a place to call home has broken your heart. 
And it's no longer okay for that to go on. Your marriage, that's been broken for a while. All of a sudden, there's a fresh view of it, and you cannot bear the thought that your marriage should stay broken as it is any longer. God is breaking some of our hearts. Maybe it's brokenness for the addiction of that person in your family. Maybe it's brokenness for the addiction of that person at work. Maybe you've seen the racial tension in this country for so long. Maybe you've even been the person who said it doesn't exist anymore. But a fresh glimpse of this fresh re-emerging of the tension is broken and undone your heart and you cannot bear it anymore. For some of us, like Nehemiah, God might be breaking our hearts over something broken in the world around us. And like Nehemiah, that may just be the way God wants to invite us to play a part in rebuilding the broken thing that's broken our hearts. And so I wonder what that might be. For some of you, the thing God may be calling you to rebuild, to, to, to help make beautiful, to help make better again. And so, so far in the story, we've seen uh, this guy named Nehemiah. His heart is broken over this, the broken walls in, in Jerusalem. And his first response to that is to pray. His first response is to take his broken heart to the God who he believes broke it. And while he's praying, he gets a vision of what he believes he needs to do. And he puts together a, a plan. Because you can't just walk out to go and, and be part of rebuilding something without any thought or any plan. So it puts together a plan and miraculously convinces the most powerful king on the planet to pay for it. And so King Artaxerxes not only signs off on this project, but he resources Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah heads off to Jerusalem, to his home city, to start playing his part in rebuilding it. And when he gets there, he gathers together some people to share the vision God has birthed in him for the rebuilding of the broken walls. And as he shares his vision uh, that God has given him, God breaks the hearts of this group of Jews in Jerusalem for the broken walls to be rebuilt. And they begin the work of rebuilding. Now, we're going to talk in coming weeks about what it looks like for us to actually start to take steps towards rebuilding those broken things God might be breaking our hearts for. We're going to talk about what it looks like to invite and share the vision with other people to include them in uh, the project God might be calling us to play a part in rebuilding. But there's something I want us to see before we get to that this morning. Because as soon as Nehemiah gets back to Jerusalem, gathers some people, shares the vision, their hearts collectively break, and they begin the project of rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem, something happens that I think we ought to be warned about. Because my suspicion is if we start to lean into the places God is calling us to play a part in rebuilding what's broken, the same thing is going to happen to us as well. Because as soon as they start rebuilding, they experience resistance. They quickly face some painful opposition. And I 
just love you all, and I wanted to do my due diligence by giving you fair warning that if you decide to play a part in building or bettering or beautifying the broken thing that God has broken your heart over, you will begin to experience resistance. You will begin to experience opposition in your world. And I just think it's good for us to know what we're getting ourselves into as we say yes to God and start to take these steps to be rebuilders. Um, If you have a copy of the scripture, turn to um, Nehemiah, and we're going to start looking at um, uh, chapter 2, starting at verse 19. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 2, Um, starting at verse 19. And we're going to get a sense of what happens, and I think a sense of what we can anticipate might happen to us as well. If you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, we'll have the verses up here on the screens, and uh, you can follow along there. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 18. Here's what it says. I, Nehemiah, also told them, this group of people that he had gathered together, About the gracious hand of God on me and what the king, Artaxerxes, had said to me. And these people replied, then let's start building. So then uh, they began this good work. So they began this good work. Verse 19. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? Opposition. Resistance. Now, I've got to say this before we move on and talk a little bit about this opposition and, and this resistance. That what we are about to talk about, the opposition and resistance we're about to look at, only applies if you are actually doing something about the vision God has given you to play part in the rebuilding project of what's broken in the world around you. It says the good work had begun. This is so good for us, see, because the church loves retreats and we love meetings, we love committees. We love brainstorming, we love mind mapping, we love storyboarding, we love cute mission statements, we love compelling statistics. But that's not what this is talking about. It's not saying they had started getting together to talk about the rebuilding project over coffee. It said they had actually put foot to ground and hand to dirt. They had actually started the work when the tension and resistance emerged. Listen. If you want to talk about being part of God's rebuilding project, don't even worry about opposition. You'll be fine. Because, listen, the enemy is not bothered by your dreams until your dreams become dues of some sort. There's no siren that goes off in hell. Oh, the church is talking again. But the work had begun, and when the work begins, The opposition emerges. If you dare to say yes to doing what God is breaking your heart for, you will experience opposition. Now, let me also, let me say this. Um, 
Some of it will come from people. That's not where we're going to focus um, uh, this morning. Some of it will come from people in your world. And that makes sense, by the way. Let me just say this really quickly because here's how it will work. If God breaks your heart over something broken in the world around you and you commit to doing something to help to rebuild, to help restore it, listen to me. In order to focus on rebuilding what God is calling you to, you're going to have to let something in your world break. If you're going to focus on what the Lord is calling you to be part of restoring, you're going to have to neglect and let other things go. Someone in your life is not going to be happy about this. If you decide that it is time for me to work on rebuilding the broken marriage that I've been a part of for years, and you happen to have a mom who believes it's your job to keep her secure by reminding her you'll always be her little boy, she ain't going to be happy. She might have some feels and thoughts about this. If you decide that you're going to focus on breaking the legacy of neglecting fathers and you're going to pour into building a legacy of godliness in your kids, you're going to have to say no to some social events with the boys. And they may not be too happy with you about that. If you as a parent decide we are going to open our home to, the, to, to foster kids, which means we're going to have to spend a little bit less on our own leisure, on our own vacations, your kids may actually have something to say about this. All I'm telling you is if you're going to rebuild something, something's going to have to break and someone's not going to be happy. You will experience some opposition even from people, but that's not what we want to focus on this morning. Because when it's all said and done, people are just going to be the means that a much greater opposer is going to use to get you to stop working. Look at what um, uh, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. Here's what he says. He says, for our struggle really, this battle we're in, is not against flesh and blood. It's not ultimately against your kids. It's not ultimately against your boys. It's not ultimately against your mom. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. In the story of Nehemiah, his opposition shows up in the form of a man named Sanballat, which that name should just give you enough grief to want to cause trouble for people. But ultimately... Sanballat is just a vessel of opposition stirred by a much more powerful source. When you decide to join God in building something broken in the world around you, Satan will use whatever means he can to get you to stop. And you see a pattern if you study the book of Nehemiah. Every time they advance in the work, the opposition intensifies. Every time you take a step further into saying yes to being part of rebuilding that marriage or inviting those kids into your home, whatever the case might be, you will experience potentially intensifying opposition. Just wanted you to know. So, I love this story uh, because it it exposes some of the enemy's favorite opposition tactics. It it reveals some of his favorite um, schemes, which is great because it will help us recognize them and prepare to respond accordingly. Especially being part of a church who longs 
to spend our energies in the darkest, most broken places in our world, being part of God's rebuilding crew. So, how might the enemy oppose you uh, when you start working? Number one, doubt. Doubt. The first level of opposition that Nehemiah and his small merry band of rebuilders experience is designed to sow doubt in them. It's intended to cause them um, to second-guess the legitimacy of this project that God has called them to. And so this guy named Sanballat, deeply insecure leader from one of the neighboring regions, um, starts to take shots at the people's confidence, sowing some doubt, using some scathing mockery to see if he can't get them to stop the work. Look at the second part of verse 19 again. This is what Sanballat says. Um, what is this you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Now, again, may sound a little lighthearted, a little trash talk, you know, back and forth uh, to those of us reading it uh, this many centuries removed. But this was intended to strike a chord and, and shake them to the core and stop their work. Ooh, <laughs> what are y'all doing? Huh. Just a. Uh, a little rebellion against the king, we see. Well, good luck with that. That's all they said. And in 21st century America, we would read that and would keep going. Like, no big deal. No, this is a huge deal. He has sown some serious doubt in the work crew. Because remember this. Only Nehemiah knows for sure that King Artaxerxes, the most powerful dude on the planet, has actually signed off on this project. This crew of workers, they've just met Nehemiah. They don't know him. They don't know if he's lying to them for sure. They don't know for sure if he's leading them on this suicide mission, which is exactly what it would be if the king doesn't sign off on this. In fact, this is not the first time they've attempted to rebuild the broken walls in Jerusalem. It was attempted some time before. And when the most powerful king in the world heard about this rebuilding project in Jerusalem, he sent an urgent executive cease and desist order, and he called the rebuilding project in Jerusalem an act of treason punishable by death. So when word got down to Jerusalem, the crew stopped immediately. Like, mm -mm, we're not messing with that. And everybody who's working on this project knows that to be true. And by the way, any guesses who the autograph on that cease and desist order was signed by? Artaxerxes, the same king that Nehemiah is saying is funding our project. So surely you can see how significant send ballots words are to this crew of people. Like, are y'all sure? I'm just asking. Because you know what happened the last time somebody tried to pull this little rebellious stunt. 
So are you really sure? And you can imagine it would have gotten under the skin of the workers and they would have started to say, Nehemiah, are you sure? Show me that autograph again. Are those papers even legit? It would have caused a little doubt to be sown in the hearts of the workers. And church, you are no different. Don't you know that's exactly what starts to happen to us when we say yes to God and we step into broken places to start to build, to start to better, to start to beautify them in his name. Enemy's going to come out of hiding to oppose us and to try and get us to stop working and go back to just talking. And one of the ways he'll do that is by sowing doubt. Because if you can get us to second guess the validity of this calling, is this really authentic? I mean, did God really say? Then he can get us to stall. And he's good at it. He's been doing it for a very long time. Eve, did God really say? I mean, you know what happened the last time someone tried to help out the foster care system in this state. Are you sure, seriously, God wants you to be involved in that? I mean, you can barely afford to pay for for cable uh, TV, and you're going to take some kids in. Okay, all right, (laughs) whatever. We know how that's worked out. I mean, you can barely fit your own family in this little shack you call a house, but now you're going to open it to the disenfranchised and to the marginalized in your community, and you're going to invite them into a place that they can call home. (laughs) Good luck with that in your square footage. Doubt. I mean, you've never even got the master's degree, and I'm sorry. You don't have the right paperwork to be launching an, an organization that fights against sex trafficking. I mean, really, you? Come on. I mean, do you know how many people and organizations have tried to help Haiti to rebuild from the rubble? Did God really stir your heart to be just one more person? I mean, you're going to go to what Zika-infested country and offer to rebuild what? Well, you better finalize your will before you do. Just say, just say, just throwing that in there. Oh, you're going to forgive her one more time for the sixth time? I mean, what are you doing, doormat? Just say. You guys, you're going to start a church that gets out of the building and blitzes the city with the love of Jesus Christ in a county that has how many churches already? All right, we'll see. We'll see. Go for it. Doubt. Doubt. When you start to do something to better the broken place, that God has called you to be a part of rebuilding. The enemy will show up and he'll run interference. And one of the first things he'll do is use a seed of doubt. Because if you can nurse a seed of doubt and allow it to sit long enough, it will stall your movement and the good work will stop. And some of us have stopped some epic kingdom reconstruction projects because of doubt. I mean, we looked around at the waves and, and 
we stopped working. We looked at our bank accounts and we were reminded and we stopped working. Listen to the ridicule and we quit. And I love what Nehemiah teaches us in how to respond because it's really simple. Look at verse 20. Nehemiah says, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We as servants will start rebuilding. But as for y'all, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. The God of heaven will give us success. I love that. Are you sure King Artaxerxes really signed up on this project? Haven't you heard how badly the last attempt failed? And Nehemiah says, yes, but the God of heaven will give us success. Nehemiah doesn't even respond about King Artaxerxes because King Artaxerxes may have signed the papers, but it's the God of heaven who gave the sanction for this work. Nehemiah appeals to the highest authority. Because if the highest authority says, get involved in rebuilding what's broken, no lower authority can stop us from doing this. The God of heaven will give us success. I love what Nehemiah does. He appeals to his God. I don't care what happened last time. The God of heaven is with us This time, it doesn't matter what fear says because the God of heaven who lives above fear will give us success. I don't care what history says, the God of heaven. I don't care what the checkbook shows, the God of heaven. Nehemiah responds by declaring God's truth to his doubt. And some of us need to learn that from Nehemiah. To declare the truth of God, his greatness, his promises, his provision, directly to doubt whenever it dares to whisper in our souls. Because you can't always stop doubt from whispering, but you can always declare God's truth to doubt when it does. And so the question is, what broken thing do you believe the God of heaven has called you to be a part of rebuilding? And by the way, this is really important for you to answer. And not only answer, what do I believe God is calling me to be a part of rebuilding? Because he is calling to be be a part of rebuilding something. It's a great thing to ask the question. And I would even encourage you to write it down somewhere. What you believe God is calling you to be a part of rebuilding. But there's an even bigger and more important question. What do you know? Besides what you believe, what do you know that God has said in his word about rebuilding those broken things that you believe he's calling you to be a part of rebuilding? Because if you believe that God is calling you to step into the foster care world or the adoption world, then you've got to be willing to declare to your doubt the God of heaven says the religion that he accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans. James 1.27 
Doubt doesn't know how to answer the declared truth of God. By the way, that's what Jesus did when Satan showed up to tempt him in the wilderness. In Matthew 4, Luke 4. If you believe God has called you to be a part of of reconciling and rebuilding that broken relationship or that broken marriage, then you can lean on this. He says, the God of heaven. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You can speak that calling to forgive and to reconcile over your doubt whenever it whispers. You're going to do it one more time? When he calls you to go to to a shady Zika-infested place and everybody around, are you sure? I mean, do you really want to die, though? You can declare the truth that God says, no, 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 to the ends of the earth. Not just to my comfortable sphere, but to the ends of the earth. He calls us to go. I love that Nehemiah appeals to what God has said. Not to his feelings, not to his opinions, not to history, not to statistics. Because there's no greater silencer of doubt than the sanction of God. Which, by the way, church, is a reason we have got to know what God says. If nothing else, so that when God calls us to be part of rebuilding something broken in the orphan crisis in Haiti, when he calls us as a family to be a part of that, I want to know what does he say about this? Because when doubt shows up and says you're not enough or whatever else it says, I want to be able to claim his word, his truth over that in addition to the things he's called me to be a part of. We've got to know this book. Because the God of heaven reveals himself in it. And I love that Nehemiah speaks the truth of God to his doubt. And for some of us, I wonder if that's not what he's calling us to do. I wonder if doubt hasn't stopped us in our tracks. The whispers. And I wonder if he doesn't want us to declare, to appeal to the highest authority that the God of heaven has said. And the God of heaven will give us success. Regardless of what some secondary king or some secondary group of opposers has to say. And so Nehemiah and the team, they, uh, they keep building the wall. They keep leaning into this project, trusting the God of heaven to give them success. But the opposition doesn't stop. In fact, when doubt doesn't work, the enemy graduates to discouragement. Uh, Look at chapter 4 of this book. Nehemiah chapter 4. And uh, we're going to start looking at verse 1. This is what happens next. It says in verse 1, When Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, doubt didn't work. And I love that. I hope the enemy hears lots of reports that Mission Point has just continued building. That you have just continued building. He became angry and greatly incensed. He became hot and extremely bothered. Is literally what the beautiful poetry of the Hebrew language suggests here. He was furious. So he ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, that's a lot of people, by the way, he said, (laughs) what are these 
feeble Jews doing? I mean, will they really restore this wall? Will they offer sacrifices to God in this city again? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring stones back to life from those heaps of rubble? Burned as they are. Discouragement. This thing that Sanballat does is low. These words that Sanballat speaks in the presence of these people is low. This is presidential debate dirty. What Sanballat says is cold and cruel and calculated. He says these feeble Jews. That was probably the deepest, most personal assault he could come up with. The Israelites again have been the punchline of jokes in the international community for over 150 years. They have been that little pathetic group of people that got their butts kicked, and then they got kicked out of their own city, paraded through the streets, and then carried off into slavery. It is this weak and pathetic group of men who couldn't protect their own wives, and they couldn't protect their own children. Those people. And now a few of them have decided, after their wall got burned down, you know, 150 years ago, now all of a sudden a group of them have decided to come back to live in their home city, surrounded by these broken walls as a constant reminder of the fact that they are weak and helpless and pathetic. You've got to believe They live with a little bit of a complex. You've got to believe the people in Jerusalem had a little bit of a low sense of self. Walked with self-consciousness and shame. Because they feel inadequate and irrelevant as it is. They feel insignificant. They feel less than everybody else. They feel less able. They, they feel less numerous. They feel less you name it. And so now Sanballat, this guy, he shows up and he brings a vast international entourage with him. And the thing he chooses to go after is the deepest wounds that the people of Israel have been enduring for years and years and years and years. Feeble Jews, weak, pathetic, insignificant. You know you're not good enough, right? You know you're not strong enough, right? Y'all better quit before you embarrass yourself and remind the entire world one more time what we already know about you. You are weak and pathetic. This is cold. Feeble. Jews. That would have cut deep. That would have spoken to a wound that they lived with. Pathetic. See, someone as broken as you can't possibly play any part in rebuilding what's broken in others. I mean, you better just quit now. 
pathetic. I mean, you can't quit swearing. And you're going to somehow play a part in helping people who are caught up in addiction. Stop. Discouragement. Discouragement. Your dad didn't even love you enough to stick around. And you think you're going to stick around long enough to build a godly legacy for your kids and break the pattern of generations before you. Come on. Just quit. Discouragement. And then he starts to dig in. Because if doubt won't work, then maybe further discouragement will. If I can't get you to doubt the authority of your God, then I might be able to get you to doubt your own ability and the thought that God would want to use someone like you. With discouragement. And he starts to ask some piercing questions. Will they rebuild, he says. Which is his way of saying, y'all are not enough. You're too small to pull off a project this big. Come on, Simfukwes. You are too old to adopt a a, a one and a half year old. You'd be like 95 by the time she graduates from high school. Can't pull it off. I mean, you're not even one of the cool kids at school. I'm sorry. No one even likes you. How are you going to pull off sparking a movement of kids who decide to speak up for those who are being mistreated? Just quit already. Discouragement. Your little bank account. I mean, your family has always struggled financially. And now you're going to help put food on other people's tables? Come on now. Nehemiah, you're a slave. And you're going to come and help set God's people into this new era of freedom. He asks, will they sacrifice to God? That's, that's low, Sanballat, even for you. And that's his way of saying, you're not wanted. You're not loved. You're going to sacrifice to God. Come on. I mean, if the last 150 years have told you nothing else, they've at least told you God doesn't care about you. Where was he when you guys got dragged off? Where's he been when you've lived as slaves? Why are the walls still burned? He doesn't care about you. And you're going to build this center of worship in order to worship him again. He doesn't even love you. Hey, look at your story of pain. Look at your story of mistreatment. Look at your history. God doesn't love you. And now you're going to help people in the world around you feel loved. Come on, let it go. Discouragement, discouragement. And he asks, will you finish in a day? That's his way of saying, this is not even possible. This will take you guys forever. You guys haven't been able to do this for decades and decades and decades. And I'm sorry, this little crew is going to do it now. It's impossible. Discouragement. I mean, how long have you struggled with porn? And you're going to get radical for Jesus now? You're all of a sudden going to help people now? Please. That's not possible. I mean, how many generations of divorce do you come from? And you're going going to play a part in restoring your broken marriage now? You? Now? Come on. 
let it go. He asks, will these bricks live? It's his way of saying, it's too late. Let it go. It's too far gone. It's too late for your marriage. It's too late for that addiction. It's too severe. The racial tension in our country is too great. The church is too late. There's nothing you can do about it. You might as well just pretend it doesn't exist. And if it does exist, then just don't speak about it. Let it go. Discouragement. Sanballat tries to make Nehemiah feel so defeated that he'll just quit. And it's no different for you. When you start playing your part in rebuilding the broken thing God has broken your heart over, the enemy will come after you. And if doubt doesn't work, he's more than happy to escalate and move on to discouragement. He'll hit the deepest, most personal places of your pain and your insecurity if that's what it takes to get you to stop working. By the way, if some of you have been struggling with maybe an intensified sense of your self-worth, just consider for a moment you might be onto something. You might be close to something. You might actually be moving in a direction If things in your family seem like, oh my goodness, they feel broken beyond despair, and that's what it's starting to feel like, it may be possible that you're onto something that God may be wanting to do something. I wonder if the reason some of you aren't playing your part in building the broken things God is calling you to is because you've let discouragement bully you off your construction spot. Because you were going to adopt, remember that? What happened? Well, like a number of practical reasons. Okay. I mean, you were signed up for foster care classes. Who bullied you off of those? Because if I asked you today, you still believe the Lord called us to do that. And you were going to volunteer at that nursing home. You were going to take the semester off to help your aging parents. You are going to take a lower-paying job so you can pour into your kids to prep them for generations to come. But then discouragement reminded you you're weak and you're pathetic and you're prone to fail. And how many dads have tried this before? (laughs) And how many people have made feeble attempts in the past? And so you stopped. The devil loves discouraging and stopping the work. And I want you to know that ahead of time. Because you will run into some reason. You'll be reminded of stuff you forgot you failed at when you start in this direction. Then, Nehemiah hears the words, and I'm sure they sting. The sticks and stones will break your bones, but words, they'll devastate you. That old nursery rhyme is nonsense. But he refuses to let discouragement win. Look at his response, verse 4. I love this. This is just one of my favorite sections here as we wind down. He says, hear us, our God, for we are despised. And then he says, turn their insults back on their own heads and give them over as plunder in a land of captivity and don't cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall 
till all of it had reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. I love that. In the face of discouragement, Nehemiah does a couple of things. The first thing he does is he prays real. He prays real. I love this. He appeals to God just like he did when doubt emerged, but this time not as, as the authority so much. He appeals to him in, in prayer um, as the one who carries out justice. But I love this because, I mean, Jesus says pray for your enemies, but Jesus doesn't say what to pray. So Nehemiah just keeps it 100 um, with God, and I love that God gives them back hair for days. And um, make everyone unfollow them on social media and put them in maximum security prison and make their cereal soggy and uh, never forgive their sins. Like he just, he, he just goes nuts praying against San Ballad because he's hurt and he's angry. And what he does is he takes his hurt and his anger to God in the most real and raw and honest way. And you can judge him if you want that his prayer is not pretty, but God loves the fact that his prayer is real. This is what Nehemiah is feeling. This is what is processing. And he believes praying the pain actually helps to ward off the discouragement. Some of us are losing the battle because we are meeting discouragement with dishonesty. And what we do is we pray what we wish we felt, but we don't actually pray what we actually feel. Nehemiah prays what he feels, what he thinks, where he's at. Some of us need to pray that our haters get hit by a bus in the upper thigh where it will heal quickly, but whatever. (laughs) Because that's what we feel. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's real. Mom says I'm a loser. Bless her heart. No, don't bless her heart. Give her cavities. Um, (laughs) Listen, God doesn't have to say yes to your request, but he does want to hear your heart. But honestly, here's the bottom line. What Nehemiah is praying for is for God to remove the voices that are bringing discouragement. He's asking God to get rid of what's bringing discouragement, which is a great prayer. God has a prerogative to do with that as he chooses. But I love that Nehemiah's response is to pray for it. And then the second thing Nehemiah does, I love this. He just works hard. I love that people worked with all their heart. Verse 6, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart even in the face of discouragement. They kept on working. They kept on working. They kept on working and they didn't quit working. Really quickly, my daughter, my oldest of my four daughters, God help me, but um, she's a really fascinating creature. Um, I can tell what kind of day she's had by how she interacts when she comes home. So when she walks through the door, um, if she greets everybody and asks for a snack, I'm like, oh, she had a good, pretty average day. But if she comes home and doesn't say much to anybody and goes to a unique corner of the house and starts to build her a really complex uh, kingdom of Legos, then I know she's had a tough day and child is working it out. And I'll even say to mom, like, just give her some time. She has learned the art of Lego therapy. (laughs) So when she's having a tough time, she'll just start building this Lego empire of hers. And I believe Nehemiah would say the same thing to us, to the church. There is such a thing as brick therapy. 
that in the moments when discouragement seems to be speaking loudest, that is the perfect time to go into your unique corner of brokenness that God is calling you into and stack one more brick. When I feel most discouraged, that's the moment heaven might be calling me to keep working. This is actually not a call to quit. This is a call to work harder. This is a call to continue to build the wall that God has called you to build. The tendencies when we feel discouraged, we go into this cave of self-pity and we stop working and the enemy is like, got him. We got him to quit. I hope the church is defined enough in the face of discouragement to say, when I feel discouragement, when I hear the lies, when I hear the voices reminding me I can't and I'm a failure and I'm a loser, I'm going back into that corner and I'm going to forgive one more time. I'm going back into that corner and I'm going to give a little more. I'm going back in that corner. I'm going to open my home and invite one more person in. I'm going back onto that computer so I can apply for one more foster, whatever it might be. Let that be a calling to the church. It is time to continue to work. I love the story of Nehemiah. In the face of doubt, he appeals to his God. And the truth of what God has said. In the face of discouragement, he prays real to God. And then he works hard. I don't know what God is calling you to. I don't know what broken thing is broken your heart over and is calling you to be a part of rebuilding, but you will face opposition. In the face of opposition, we declare truth in his word. Uh, we pray to God in real and honest ways, and we continue to work, church. Do not quit under any circumstances. And I love that the ultimate Nehemiah is the person of Jesus Christ, who left a really cushy gig Come down to earth because we were broken and our relationship with God was broken and he couldn't tolerate the thought. And so he came down and he put foot to ground and he put hand in dirt and even took blood on his own body in order to restore us to his God. And he faced discouragement and he faced despair and the enemy tried to sow doubt in him. But all the way to the cross, he committed himself to the one who judges justly. He took his little merry band of men and whatever it was. And Jesus Christ worked harder to the point of death. And we want to be a people who represent him by doing the same in the brokenness around us. So, Lord, we pray. That you would prepare us for the opposition that might await us as we take steps towards mending what's broken in our world. So Lord, for anyone who has stopped working, I pray that you would call them back. For anyone in this room, Lord, who's not experiencing any opposition and hasn't because they haven't stepped into a broken place, I pray that you would burden each of our hearts with something broken that you want us to be a part of rebuilding. And that we would be unable to rest until we start to lean into you and take steps to be part of your rebuilding crew. And then give us the courage and give us your truth. Give us your power so that we might succeed in the work because of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.